You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get to this week's interview, I wanted to go over a few things. Uh, first, there's our Teespring campaign. We have a storefront over at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash revision path where you can buy a t-shirt and help support the show. We got three shirts in both men's and women's styles in five different colors, so I'm sure that you'll find one that you like. Our campaign closes in just two days, and we're kind of using this as the litmus test for doing any merchandising in the future. Again, to purchase a shirt, go to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash revision path. Second, there's our 50th interview contest. Our 50th interview is coming up at the end of October, and you can win a $50 gift card uh, just for leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Visit revisionpath.com and click the contest banner at the top of the page for information on how you can enter. We're currently looking for guest bloggers and interns as well. So for you college students out there, you can get college credit and work with Revision Path behind the scenes. Internships start on October 1st, so you still got, you know, a few weeks to apply. Just go to revisionpath.com forward slash internships and send us your resumes. Uh, we also have a few guest blogging posts available for those of you that want to write something and sort of help contribute to the site. Uh, we'd love to hear your ideas, so send us a pitch at revisionpath.com forward slash write dash for dash us and let us know. This episode is sponsored by MailChimp, the best way to design, send, and share email newsletters. We use it here for our weekly and monthly newsletters, and I also use it for my clients' emails as well. MailChimp also supports the creative community, so why not support them? Head on over to MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account. Now this week, I talked with Antoinette Carroll, chair of AIGA's National Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is Antoinette Curl. I'm the marketing and communications manager at a nonprofit called Diversity Awareness Partnership. I am also the recently appointed chair of the Diversity Inclusion Task Force with AIGA, the Professional Association Design, on top of being the vice president and the creator and chair of the diversity initiative through AIGA St. Louis. Wow, that's a lot. Congratulations on your recent appointment. Thank you. So I guess with all of this, you've probably done a lot just in and around the, I guess, the St. Louis design scene. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So I started with AIGA as the student conference co-chair uh, because working with kind of youth and not even just K-12 youth, but then also higher education and undergrad students and preparing them for the workforce was very dear to me because what I found was that many students didn't have the necessary preparation to present their portfolio or they didn't have the mentors or the networks to get into the, the right doors to enter the design profession. So I started in that avenue and then from there kind of grew from, from that to the programming chair, which working with different designers in St. Louis started the Pixels of Fury design competition, like live design competition with Shutterstock. I also helped a lot with not only just getting more diversity within AIGA, which obviously you can tell from my recent appointments, but then mm -hmm. also working a lot on social impact design and 
what it means to be a designer within the nonprofit space and the social enterprise space. So I many times was working within those areas to kind of get the messaging of design out. Talk to me about social impact design. What is that specifically? Well, it's primarily design. So you have the designers that work with many for-profit companies. Uh, with my background, it was mainly in advertising with companies such as like AT&T and kind of getting their messaging out. But then with social impact design, it's where you're developing design, graphic design, design strategies around I guess, more impactful messaging, activism, community change, situations such as that. So with my background, I've worked a lot with nonprofits, and I've worked with nonprofits in the arts. I've worked with nonprofits around hunger. Right now, my in my full-time job, I'm working around the idea of diversity and how diversity is defined in our personal life and how the importance of having different perspectives in the room, what that means. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's more just kind of getting the messaging out of not necessarily just marketing a product, but in itself kind of marketing a, an idea and, you know, what we can do to make our world better. I got you. So it's like you said, it's not about designing towards a business or a product, but you're more so designing towards maybe a movement or an idea or something like that. Is that right? Correct. I got you. Okay. So you're the the new chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force of AIGA, which is a, I think it's a pretty lofty title. It's certainly a very lofty <laughs> honor. I know that a lot of a lot of the people that I've talked with here on Revision Path, we've discussed AIGA, some good, some bad. And a lot of it has boiled down to sort of the diversity of the organization and how that's reflected through the diversity of the the design community itself. Tell me a little bit about what your chair appointment entails. Like what sort of initiatives do you plan on on putting forth? Um, well, right now I'm working with the strategic manager. Her name is Aiden O'Connor in office of AIGA. And it's interesting because it started as kind of a email conversation between myself and Aiden and how I was expressing to her when I went to the site, you know, the design journey seemed out of date. There were many initiatives I saw that happened in the past, but nothing was happening now. And what could we do to bring this into the, you know, millennial generation, as well as to kind of make sure the conversation is ongoing and sustainable, opposed to dying off uh, once volunteers are no longer able to provide their time. So from that, they saw kind of my interest connecting me with individuals in like from the San Francisco chapter, from the West Michigan chapter, they kind of had the same concern. And from there at our leadership retreat that happened in May this year, I led a roundtable around diversity programming and what that means. And I kind of also received feedback on what happened the previous iteration of the diversity task force and how there were many pros and cons with that and just kind of from that assessment and evaluation was able to kind of provide AIGA with that insight that some they knew some they didn't did not and they felt the need to restart the task force and I will admit I was very persuasive. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> I didn't really back down that much because many times you have companies say, well, we don't really have the resources or we don't have the money or we don't have the time. And as I expressed to them, this is something that is very important. You know, it's not changing. You know, articles from written in 1991 or why graphic design is 93% white. You know, it's not much has changed. 
And Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily just about racial equity, but then also looking at LGBTQ rights and how disability plays a role and how we're not being reflective of the community in which we're serving. So from that, right now I'm working with the task force that we are still developing from people from around the nation that are very adamant about this issue. And we're looking at recommendations such as, I know personally, I'm more spearheading the recommendation of them hiring the first diversity and inclusion director to be within the AIGA office. Oh, wow. Because from my research and just also from my connections, within the advertising industry, there are many professional associations that have that already. They have national internship programs. They have kind of fellowships and sponsorships. But AIGA in in the design community, you don't really see that happening. So, So I'm more kind of challenging people to, you know, put the money where your mouth is. And if you're saying that it's important, let's actually have someone fully dedicated to this full time so that it doesn't die off once a volunteer is gone. Wow. I need to submit my resume for that, <laughs> <laughs> for that AIGA uh, position. But no, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, a few weeks ago I talked with Albert Whitley. Albert Whitley is the vice president of AIGA Atlanta, the Atlanta chapter. And we talked about diversity in the field and we talked about diversity within AIGA. He brought up your name as well. And then I've also talked with Andrew Bass, who I believe was maybe one of the former chairs of the AIGA Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And a lot of what he mentioned, and I don't know if this might have factored into the pros and cons that you heard at the retreat, but he was saying that there was this, I don't know, it it seemed like there wasn't this really big insistence on keeping it going outside of maybe one or two exhibits. It was hard to sort of find people. It was hard to sort of get things done Mm -hmm. specifically about the design journeys thing. I've interviewed a few people from that. I mean, but the thing is, I wouldn't have known about it unless AIGA did it, right? Right. So I was able to talk to Maurice Woods and Steve Jones and Michelle Washington and Emery Douglas and, you know, have them on the show and be able to talk with them about kind of what their work is and what they've done. But like you said, a lot of that is it's outdated. I mean, these are still people that are working designers in the field. So I don't want to make it seem like they're they're relics right. or something like that. But you have something like that that needs to kind of be continued. Like the journey just can't be one stop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it has to be something that continues, whether that's through recommendations, whether it's through suggestions. And I've talked with Aiden. I've talked with Rick. And we've discussed kind of that same thing as well. And what they've both reiterated is that at least for within diversity, within AIGA, like it has to come from the members, like it has to come from the members. It has to be people that volunteer. So it's not necessarily so much of an outside force. It really has to come from within the organization. Right. And and to me, the membership, they're calling for it. You know, how many design conferences are we going to or even advertising conferences where it's always a panel on diversity and how we need more? And what I always found, because I've said on a few of them, is that you usually have the diversity on those panels, but then when you look beyond the diversity panel, it's, right. not, it's non-existent. And and to me, if you don't have someone that's always on that, that they're all that's their top of mind is where can we get more diversity? Not something where it's just a volunteer from the outside looking in. You're not going to be able to truly exhibit that change that you're looking for. And I know it should be member-based, volunteer-based, but I think it is. That's why the recommendations are you know, being provided, they're provided from our membership. And 
to me, what I also, because there's a few recommendations, design journeys, the continuation of that and making sure that it's quarterly updated and ongoing, more representation on the board from diverse backgrounds. But I'm also looking into somewhat kind of the mindset of a a design census. What does our design industry look like right now? We need to do this every five to 10 years, send a survey out, and not just about our salary, but then what does our makeup look like? What are the career opportunities for designers? What do they need? And in turn, when we know that information, opposed to just guessing, that's when we truly can satisfy our members, not only in AIGA, but just designers from other membership organizations. Yeah, I know AIGA does the annual, I believe it's the salary yes. uh, rankings or the salary spread. And Alista Part used to do a survey for web designers. They did that from 2007 to, I think, like 2012. And then they kind of just stopped doing it out of the blue. But I do think there needs to be some sort of a survey or a census to know kind of what the field looks like, what the makeup of the field is. Actually, one of the inspirations for starting Revision Path was based on the results from the 2007 survey, which said that like 1% of designers are black mm-hmm. and 0.9 of them are, you know, like it, it didn't, it really seemed like, okay, there's not a lot of people in this field, but I know people that are working in this field. And with surveys, I mean, a lot of it has to deal with methodology and how you're reaching out to people. A lot right. of black designers may not have even known about the survey in general, but I think the difference between 2007 and the difference well, the difference between 2007 and now is that there certainly are a lot more active groups of black designers, gay designers, Hispanic designers, etc. that are out there. But it's just about doing that outreach, which I don't really see a lot of a lot of the outreach happening. What I see is there are certainly companies and organizations that may champion or mention these groups, mm-hmm. but it's almost like it's a lip service. It's saying, OK, well, this group is doing it, so we don't have to that kind of thing. I agree with that. And and to me, I feel like AIGA and the professional associations, even beyond AIGA, have the audience to do that. And not just necessarily sending out an online survey, because the reality is you have to have a multi-pronged approach. You have to Mm -hmm. look, you already have chapters in place. You have leaders of these chapters. You have members that are specific to these chapters. So why not use that you know, avenue and that platform that you already have to disseminate your survey and entice them with it. Maybe it can be, I don't know, a grant or an opportunity for a a chapter to receive more money towards their personal initiative for them to actually get the survey out to their members. But you already have the people that are within the community Opposed to just having it from the face down and AIGA sending a survey out to everyone, you have AIGA St. Louis, AIGA Atlanta working within their own population and getting the surveys out to them. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's that's a good way to, to look at it because the thing, AIGA definitely has the numbers and the reach. It's just about making sure that they really do it in an effective manner to mm-hmm. reach as many people. As, as they can. So here's the the big question, which I'm sure a lot of people are always asking, but not necessarily answering in the best way. So I guess in your official capacity as chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force of AIGA, why is inclusion and diversity important in the design community? You know, it's, it's always interesting because many people don't even truly understand the definition of diversity, and they don't even truly understand 
the difference between diversity and inclusion. Because when we started, it originally was just a diversity task force, and I pushed for it to be diversity and inclusion. Because diversity mm-hmm. is, people can look at it as a numbers game. You know, how many black designers do you have? How many designers with a disability do you have? And it's like, okay, we have this percentage. But what do we have beyond that? You know, it's not just racial, um, it's not just ability, it's not just sexual orientation, it's diversity of thought. How many designers from different backgrounds do you have at the table? And in turn, will that create a better product? Will that create a better solution? Because designers are the ones that are coming up with the messaging, coming up with those tangible pieces that the normal consumer is working with. They are seen day by day. And if we are not representing the population, and if we do not have the individuals from different backgrounds or, you know, avoid that group think, as I like to call it, then are we really coming up with the best solution to the problem? You know, and I think that's why diversity and inclusion is so important. And that is more on the diversity aspect. Inclusion is, do I feel welcomed in this community? Yes. Do I feel like I am receiving the the same networking opportunities, the same professional development opportunities, the same fellowship as my other counterparts. And some people, actually, I think a lot of people feel that they do not. As a St. Louis designer, I do not feel like I have the same opportunity as the New York designers. You know, I, as a designer that went to a school in St. Louis, I don't feel that I have the same opportunity as a designer that went to the School of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that I have the same networking opportunities because many of the top designers, and when I say top, I'm not thinking, you know, their design is better than everyone else's, but they're more prominently known. Many right. of these designers, when you look at their background and their stories, most of the time they talk about being influenced by another top designers, being mm-hmm. in that close avenue with Milton Glasser, getting that thought process from that person. But if you're in the Midwest, or even if you're in the South and you don't have those mentors or those thought leaders within your community, uh-huh. are you really feeling like the community is representative of people like you? That's why it's important. It's not necessarily just getting you know, the idea of design and raising more awareness about our industry out there, getting more people of color, getting more people of different backgrounds there. But it's also about making sure that they're happy within their position, making sure they feel like they can grow within their community. And in turn, I believe all that comes together to create a better product, to create a better message that will influence society. How do you think, and we'll say particularly for designers, how do you think we can increase diversity in this community, given you know the sorts of challenges that people might have with identity or with inclusion or things like that? That's that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I say it's a big question, because there's so many different tiers to that question, because it comes sometimes it goes back to even just a specific business that you're working in. You know, are you being represented there? Are they using you to your best talents? You know, you don't want to be the African-American designer that the only time they really give you a big project is when they feel like we're reaching out to the African-American consumer. Right. It's, and you certainly uh, don't want to be the diversity hire. <laughs> right. That's, that's not fun for anybody. 
Right. You know, it's it's really not because it's we're we're more than that. That's interesting. Can you restate that question one more time just so I can make sure I answer it fully? Oh sure. I was asking how can we increase I guess diversity in the, you know, design community given challenges with identity. Um and, and inclusion can sort of go in that as well. How do we work on increasing that? Does it have to be at the company level? Is it a is it a pipeline issue? Mm-hmm. You think? You know, I think it's I think it's a combination because one of the issues we always talk about within the design community is the lack of awareness of our career self. Yeah. Many times, you know, as a child, when you're growing up, you say, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a lawyer because you see kind of you see the result of what they're doing. You see it every day in the news. You see it every day on TV. But how many times do you have students that recognize that the chair they sit in was designed by someone? The mm-hmm. shoes they have on their feet were designed by someone. Many times they, there's no connection there. And also just growing up, design is lumped into art. You know, and art, as we know, has the stereotype of the starving artist. You can't go into art. You know, that's you're not going to make it in life. You're going to struggle, which, you know, design and marketing and fashion design and all these different areas, I think, combat that. But it's getting that messaging out. And it's not just always having designers go into the classroom and say, this is what I do, because many times there's still a disconnect for these children. It's more also working with the parents and changing their ideas, as well as having the teachers not, I guess, look down upon that child that is a little bit more creative than they are analytical. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, you can look at it as kind of that educational and that household reform but then you also can look at it where the companies and you have some companies out there such as AT&T where they are very much we need to have we you have to have design representation in your suppliers and your vendors within within your workforce you know it's something that they're very you know focused on and we need more clients that are like that right right because in turn the clients are the ones of which to be in reality, we bend over backwards for. So if the clients are saying this is a problem, it's like we'll notice it more because it should be more than just the black designers that bring this issue to forefront. Right. A lot of companies with, you know, when it relates to, to diversity and inclusion, really, from what I've seen, won't do anything about it until it affects their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Like if it doesn't affect them in the pocketbook, it's not really something that they're super interested in trying to fix. Because it's sort of like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But if it's something that is clearly going to be affecting whatever their profit or their revenue is for the year, then I think that's when they'll really look more into it and and sort of. You know, speaking earlier about the pipeline, I know there's a lot of organizations like All Star Code, Hack the Hood, Black Girls Code that really work on making sure that, like you mentioned earlier, make sure that children know that these are careers that are are viable options for them so they can sort of stoke that interest and grow it at a young age. But also, I think we have to look at the current attrition rate in the community when it relates to designers of all shades and all black, white, whatever, Mm -hmm. but looking at the attrition rate to see how do we keep more people in this field? Because certainly fixing the pipeline problem and telling kids, you know, yes, you can do this. You can come into this field is great. But then when they get here, how do we keep them in there? And I think that goes back to that inclusion and providing them with 
you know, the opportunity to grow. I can personally speak. I've worked at a company or an agency. I won't be specific, (laughs) but (laughs) there were times where I heard the use of the Mm N-word. And then when they noticed that I was in a room, it was like, oh, oh, shouldn't have said that. And in the context, I knew this person was not trying to be disrespectful with it because they were they were restating a Dave Chappelle joke that they thought was so funny. You know, I love Dave Chappelle, but I will admit I didn't watch the show only a few times. So in that context, they thought it was okay because the person they were talking to was a minority, not African-American minority. They were actually from Asian descent. But in that moment, they realized, I think that was kind of like that education moment for them of crap. I shouldn't ever do that. Mm -hmm. But then there were situations where we would have an all staff meeting of around 80 to 100 people and the CEO would joke about how they couldn't understand someone from a, a competing agency because of their accent. Hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And I will admit that I, I actually left that company <laughs> because of that, but that goes into the inclusion. Like if you are not receiving, if the top are not receiving training and they're not the ones kind of leading the diversity inclusion effort, then mm-hmm. the people lower do not feel it. It's because in my work at Diversity Awareness Partnership, many times we train executive leaders and we train people to understand that it's not just the diversity, chief diversity officer to lead the conversation. You know, you have to have partners, you have to have CEOs, you have to have even the crewmen in the conversation so that you're getting the different perspectives and you know that it's important to the company. Because when you know that the CEO has a buy-in on it and it's something they're very adamant about, you in turn feel like that you are being respected. So what would you say to those people who think that all these initiatives about diversity and inclusion, like it's just, it's affirmative action, <laughs> it's it's tokenism, you're just trying to appeal to a certain diversity quota. What would you say to those people? Or reverse racism. Or reverse racism. Yeah. I've got I've heard that too, yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to redefining the term diversity. When you actually look at it, it's no more than when people many times when they hear diversity, they think color, which is Mm -hmm. one of my biggest pet peeves. You know, many times you see diversity ads and you see all the minorities in little boxes by each other. You don't see not one white person. You don't Mm -hmm. see people generally talk about diversity of perspectives and diversity of background, diversity of thought. And I think that in itself perpetuates the problem where you have people are like, okay, you're just bringing in this black person so that we can have, you know, increase our numbers. No, we're bringing in people from different backgrounds so that we have different perspectives. And that will be my response. It's like, don't look at it as a color issue. This is something that is important for all different backgrounds and different perspectives. And you have to recognize that even your background there are certain perspectives and there are certain things that you view differently than someone from a different background. And you right. want fellowship, you will want professional development that helps you along just like that other person would. So it's not necessarily just getting more people of color into the industry. It's making sure that the industry itself is supportive of all type of designers. Because Mm -hmm. even when you look at, I would say, the graphic design field and even the advertising field, there is more 
recognition provided to agencies than there yeah. are right than there are of in-house designers. That in itself is diversity in looking at the issue of inclusion. So now AIGA, I think it was the past year or so, they've been pushing more heavily around in-house designers with Alan Peters as the spokesperson for it. Um, he works at Target as the creative director, I believe. Okay. Now you're looking at, okay, that's what diversity is. That's what the task force is there for. When you look at certain, I would say, discrepancies of people and different designers and making sure that they are receiving the opportunities, the recognition and the support that someone that is already, I guess, privileged with this wouldn't necessarily think about. And, you know, many times we hear privilege and you think white privilege or you think gender privilege, such as males. And that, and, mm-hmm. and there's truth in that. There's many things that as one of my coworkers, she is a Caucasian female, she will sit there and say that she, there's many things she would not have to think about that I would have to think about. Yeah. You know, she recognizes that. And I think when you can personally self-evaluate and realize that, yes, I do have privilege. Like there are certain things that I know I have privilege on because I am educated. I have a master's degree. I have more privilege than someone that didn't even graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different ways to look at your privilege and we're all privileged in some form or fashion. And when I say all, I think more American <laughs> when I say that we're all privileged in some form or fashion. Even when you look at the digital divide and having access to a smartphone versus yeah. You know, a Nokia, and I'm thinking old school Nokia. That is a form of privilege. And when you have these diverse and inclusion task force, they're the ones that are thinking about all these different avenues and how to make sure that we're more, I guess, more supportive and looking at equality in a more broad sense. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone uh, that is just starting out in this design industry? I would say to them, professional development is key. Like anyone that knows me know that I will try to attend any conference that I possibly can. I will try to network with people that are different than me mm-hmm. and not just of my color. Because many times I think most people try to go around people that are just like them. That's not going to help you. You know, you need to be with people that, that are smarter than you that has more talent than you, because in turn, that's going to influence you. And I know, like, one of my strongest tools, I'm more of an illustrator. So I tend to work with people or be friends with people that are more Photoshop heavy, because I know if there's an issue, (laughs) I can go to them and they will help me out. And that's something that's so micro. But in turn, when you have all these different micro areas, then that affects your kind of macro mindset. So be around people that are different than you, network to the T, and don't be afraid to ask for someone to be your mentor. Don't be afraid to ask someone to say, hey, can I just go out for a coffee with you so that I can just kind of learn your life story? The reality mm-hmm. is we like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Human beings like to talk. We love to talk about ourselves. And much as people like to say they don't, we do. And we love to help people that are newer to the field and even people that in general that may not be that new but we feel some type of investment in them Mm -hmm. 
So definitely put your, your best foot forward, do professional development, get involved with a professional organization. And I'm not just saying AIGA, but any professional organization, if you're a web designer, if you're a game designer, there's different professional organizations for those type of designers as well. You know, and from there, you know, you'll be able to connect with so many individuals that in turn will help you within your career and may also become, you know, personal allies. Yeah, that part about mentorship is so, so important. I think I'd say the majority of the people that I've interviewed for Revision Path, whenever I've asked them the question about mentorship, they've always said that they did not have a mentor. And I don't know if that's something that is particular to black designers or black developers, what have you, but none of them had sort of that person that could help them along as they were, you know, making mistakes and, and getting higher up to where they are in the field now. So while I think mentorship is important, there also need to be more people out there who are willing to be mentors. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what kind of a, a, a program or what have you that would entail. I know if I'm speaking personally, I've tried to get a mentor now for well over 10 years with no success. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you, like I'll find someone that I think would be a good mentor and I, I'll ask them and usually the answer is no, or it'll cost this much in order for that to happen. So I think, you know, I have like those far away, like mentors in my head, that kind of thing. But like that in-person mentoring, you know, relationship, I know that sometimes that can be pretty elusive yeah. Uh, to get. So there have to be more people out there that are willing to mentor as well. You know, I agree with that. But then I also think there needs to be, and it's interesting that you say you've been asking people for 10 years. I think there should be more people willing to ask, you know, because I think, I think it's on both sides. You know, you have some mm -hmm. people that need to be more open to mentoring, but then there has to be, you shouldn't let fear run, rule you and you should be willing to ask this person to mentor you. I will say personally that I have personal mentors, uh -huh. but I will admit the majority of them are not in design. They're more in oh. they're more in business. They're more in arts, arts administration, and regarding design, I have a few uh, more local ones. But mm -hmm. I would recommend people looking at mentorship beyond just that face to face because you can sit there and I like to use the term slightly stalk. <laughs> or, prof mm -hmm. or professionally stalk someone on Twitter on, you know, that's the beauty of social media is that you can kind of find out what people are doing, you know, and you don't necessarily always have to have that person face to face. It's great to have that. And you should always shoot for that because while one person may say no, there may be some people in your city that will say yes. But it also is one where you can't I think what what I find is that many people make the mistake of, oh, I think this person is great because I've seen their portfolio online, and then they send an email and say, can you be my mentor? They don't know you. Mm. <laughs> like there's no connection there whatsoever. Like you right. need, you need to have some type of you know in, and whether it's you know you saw that you see this person at a professional event. At, you know, networking event and you just start a casual conversation from there, follow up with an email saying, hey, you know, it was great meeting you. It'd be great if one day I could sit down and have lunch with you. Or you can use your network that you already have to find a way to get an introduction to different types of designers or whatever mentors you're aspiring for. Because I would say a majority of my mentees that I have have came from either someone recommending this person 
to me or they reached out to someone I worked with and say, I'm looking for some poor designer that works within this area. And then they say, oh, you should look into Antoinette. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I met them at an event where we start a casual conversation. And many times they were volunteers at the event. And then they say, I would love to connect with you afterwards. And from there, I've, you know, helped people with resumes. I've helped people with portfolios. So it's you have to look at different avenues opposed to just that one, I would say, kind of cold calling mentorship. Because mentoring is a lot of time. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to dedicate my time, I have to have some connection with you. If it's non-existent, the more likely I'm going to say, no, I just don't have the time. Going back to your chair appointment with AIGA and sort of what I mentioned earlier about there are people that have worked with the organization before that may not have the best opinion of AIGA as it relates to diversity. What are some things that people can do to really, I guess, help you out and, of course, help out AIGA when it comes to diversity and inclusion? within the organization? You know, I would say just reaching out to me, just, you know, I, I would say since this appointment, I've been emailing many people that I already know have an interest in diversity, asking for just kind of their stories and what recommendations they have for the task force. You know, I want to hear from people outside of, of my, you know, myself and the people that are already on the task force, because many times the people you see working in diversity inclusion, like, we have our own mindset of this is what we need, but I think it goes back to kind of what Rick Grafay says about it's about the members. What do you want? You know, I can have in my mind that it's, I think this is the solution, but it goes also back to those diverse perspectives and, you know, backgrounds. You're on the ground, you're working in it. What feedback, you know, do you have that I can in turn enact? You know, if you think that we should develop a fellowship program to get, designers, I don't know, professional development, like a conference specific to them, like the Ad Color Councils for Advertising, or if like program, the New York program in part where they provide funding to advertisers or designers to go to the How Conference or the Innovation and Design Conference by Fast Company. You know, what do you feel like you need to develop as a designer that will help you feel more included within the industry? So it's reaching out to me, and you can do that through Twitter. You can do that through my email. Or it's also if you're interested in actually joining the task force, you know, contacting me or Aiden, and we can get you on the roster. You know, I I don't want to just limit it, you know, <laughs> to the people that I know. I want to get those different backgrounds and, and also looking at nationally, get people from different parts of our country into the conversation. Mm-hmm. So let's sort of switch gears a little bit. Let's focus on you. I know we've talked a lot about uh, your work and what you've done, but let's talk about you as an individual. With all of this work that you're doing, how do you keep motivated and inspired? <laughs> motivated. You know what's interesting? Because my work motivated and inspires me. You know, okay. I, I am a mom. I have twin sons. They just turned six. I am a, okay. I am a wife. You know, and many times – Growing up, well, not growing up, as I got older, I received the stereotype of how do you do it all? You know, how mm-hmm. how do you get it done? And, you know, I look at them and I say, just like everyone else that do it. You know, I remember when I was when I was first pregnant and I was pregnant in college um, and it was a personal decision. It was later years. And many people assumed that I would not graduate from college, which was inter- which was interesting, taking that I had a 4.0 GPA. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) And I had, you know, scholarships and internships every year. And I'm not just trying to like harp on myself, but it's one where even when you have great successes, you are faced with those stereotypes that are trying that try to bog you down. And many people, many people will say to me, so, you know, you're you're going to quit after you have your kids. And I'm like, "Uh, no, (laughs) that's not happening. And that in turn motivate and inspires me because just my personal stories of being faced with racism, sexism, but then also stories that other people have told me. And it's not necessarily just about racism or sexism. I had a friend that right now is working in accounting and she hates it, but she had to do accounting because her parents would not support her art degree. Mm. Those stories are what keeps me going. And it makes me push more and more for just the task force, but then also within my personal work. You know, I've, like I said, I've worked in different industries, agency, in-house, but the reason I came to my position at Diverse Awareness Partnership is because it was something that I felt like I wanted to make a change in. So that's, you know, that's what keeps me going. And, you know, of course, my kids and my family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who has offered you the most useful career advice and what was that advice? I don't know if it was necessarily career advice, but I will say it's interesting. I have a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Shiraz Gorman. And she was, let me get this correct, she was the first woman of color to work within the creative department at Wyden and Kennedy. And, oh, oh, I've heard of her. Yes. I've heard of her. I heard she spoke at something that the, the One Club did, I think, with yes. the Where Black People event. Yeah. Yes, she was the facilitator. She used. She was a panelist and then a few years later was the facilitator. Uh, she's okay. she's a good friend of mine, and she's actually from St. Louis, and she's here right now. And it wasn't advice, but it was advice what someone told her that made her, I guess, become more of an advocate for diversity in, in the creative field. Which was she, she the story she told me is that she was feeling really low and down, and I'm not saying this happened at Wyden and Kennedy, but mm-hmm. um, she was feeling really low and really down, and she, the woman she was talking to was the first engine. Uh, woman of color in engineering within her company and Mm -hmm. she said to her she was like you know what did you expect really from the from the company that you're at and she said you know i expected to be appreciated respected you know my viewpoint to be you know recognized and she said and that's interesting because they don't know what to do with you you know white men and black men share their maleness white men and white women share their color you're a black woman they don't know what to do with you and the reality is is that many times even when we're pushing for more diversity most of the time i would even even though it's interesting because black males have so many hurdles that they have to overcome and it's just disgusting how many hurdles that black men have to overcome but Many times I still see more black men than I will see African-American women. Mm -hmm. And that's like a personal mission for me. So it wasn't necessarily advice, but it was something that made me realize that the way that I viewed the world wasn't necessarily wrong, but it showed me that I needed to create change. So that was it was more advice of realize what you are and push back on it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, realize what you are and say, you know what? Yes, I am an African-American woman, but that does not mean that I am not equal to this white male. That does not mean I'm not equal to this black male. I My viewpoint is just as valued. But be more cognizant of that. You go into different, I guess, situations with, I guess, more power. Because it's not necessarily you. You don't have that wonder, that wonder of, well, what's going on? Am I too timid? Am I talking too low? You know, I, I can personally say, even within my role at AIGA St. Louis as the vice president, I've been told by a board member, don't argue too much, because you don't, mm. you don't want to be viewed as someone that people can't work with. And I pushed back and said, would you tell a male this? And they actually said, interesting, I probably would not have. That when you have that power, when you recognize how people view you, and I'm not saying everyone it's like a negative thing. It's not something that's always intentional. But when you recognize that that underlying thought may be there, it gives Mm -hmm. you more power. So that was not necessarily advice, but it was something that, that kind of put me in gear. That's a really good way to look at it. Like once you realize you've got that power, then that in turn empowers you to sort of move forward and do more. Are you where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? Oh, you just had to hit me with that one, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I will say no. And the reason I will say no is because what the ideas that I have, such as there's an organization called Young Arts, and they're the only nonprofit in which students or high school youth can receive the Presidential Medal of Arts. Oh, wow. Young Arts, to me, even when you look at the curriculum development and master classes and the students they're working with, they're providing that fine arts background. You know, they're providing the only thing besides fine arts is architecture and music, but theater, but not on design. And, you know, I have ideas myself that I would love to see in that. I would love to create the design version of Young Arts, where you have the master classes, where you have, you know, the development for youth that wants to get more in-depth knowledge on design and not necessarily just graphic design. I actually more look into fashion design, web design, architecture, product design, transportation, shoot, like all different areas of design, having mm-hmm. a, I guess, more development platform for the youth. That's what I always wanted to do was to create that. But reality is, I don't such as that. And I know I just said earlier that this is what companies say, but even, you know, Aspire entrepreneurs recognize this, that you need resources, you need the network, you need the capital to start something such as that. So right right now I'm developing those connections, but I know personally in the end, I would love to be a diversity and inclusion consultant within the Mm -hmm. design field. That's my ultimate goal is to get paid for something that I do already and to work with companies, design firms, architecture firms, to have them develop diversity and talent and retention programs 
within their companies and to work with professional associations to work with members and give them opportunities that they need. That is what I would like to become. So in a sense, it's leaving design, but not design. Like I wouldn't be in front of InDesign all day. I would be mm-hmm. in front of the designers that are in front of InDesign and giving them the opportunities that I think we all need. That is where I would like to be. I see. Yeah, you're it's it's sort of elevating out of kind of the day to day work of design. You're looking more at the big picture, like 10,000 foot level perspective of design and the whole design community overall. So I think that's that's something that I think you'll attain. I think, if you know, just based on no, but I'm serious, like just based on where you're going now, like your recent appointment and things like this, I feel like this is something that you'll easily be able to do. Well, thank you. I'll, when that happened, I'll make sure to invite you to my <laughs> What do you see yourself in the next five years or so? In the next five years, I see myself, truthfully, like I said, I am working to have AIGA create that position. I'm not going to lie. I would love if I was able to feel that. Mm-hmm. If I was able to feel that with through AIGA or even some other professional association to work within diversity and to get more designers and people with creative backgrounds into the field and feel supported, that's why I would like to be in five years. So once again, getting away from design, but I would say more going into design strategy. And, design strategy. Yeah, more like design strategy is looking at the bigger problem and coming up with solutions that may not necessarily be a poster. It may be a program. That's how I envision myself in five years. I think you should talk with Michelle Washington, I think is, is definitely someone you should talk with. Uh, I don't know if you have already talked to her or not, but she's a, okay. She's a, a real connector of people. She also, I think does some design strategy uh, definitely does some design criticism type work, but she's someone that has has worked in this industry for well over 20 plus years and has a wealth of knowledge about, you know, I think she's done some work with AIGA, but she's also done art direction for the New York Times, mm. for the Chicago Tribune. I think she's someone that might be good to kind of think about as you're doing all this. Okay. The second person is... Lynette Clark, who I actually just interviewed recently, uh, she's out of D.C. She's a, a UX strategist, um, and the GRIO named her one of the top 10 black people in technology in 2013. But she's also someone that kind of has these big picture ideas as it relates to diversity in the field. She's a very passionate diversity advocate. So I think she's someone else you can you know try to reach out to and network, and I'll be happy to introduce you to either one of them. That would be great. I would appreciate that. Okay, if you weren't doing uh, the work that you're doing now, like with uh, diversity in the design field, what do you think you would be doing? If I was not doing diversity in design field, I would probably still be in design, but I would be more focused on world hunger and hunger relief and. Uh, eradication of world poverty, because that is kind of my other tier of area in which I work in, is giving opportunity for, giving the opportunity for people of low poverty backgrounds and, you know, feel like they don't have a way out, giving them that, you know, not only just food, but 
teaching them how to develop into more, I don't want to say meaningful citizens because that's disrespectful. It's more, I guess, being able to be self-sustaining, you know, Mm -hmm. giving them the empowerment to be able to fix their own community because many times we have a tendency to go in and let's give people shoes, let's give people water. But we need to teach people how to make their communities more sustainable, teach them to be more self-dependent. And in Mm -hmm. turn, I think that would make our world a better place opposed to just giving handouts all the time. Right. The whole the whole adage of, you know, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime, that kind of thing. Exactly. So just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at a curl design, A-C-A-R-R-O-L-L design. You also can find me on LinkedIn most of the time. That's where I am. Uh, more than Facebook or any other social media platform. And then also just going to AIGASTLouis.org. You can find more information on what we're doing there. I also just want to do a quick plug that I know some people go to the AIGA.org website and you see that the information is outdated. We are actually currently working on a web page that will be up to date on, you know, design journeys, adding you know, more up-to-date designers into that area, but then we're also looking to provide more resources within that webpage. So we are currently working on that. All right, that sounds good. And, and if you guys need any any input on the design journeys, I'd be more than happy. I'm just, this is my plug. I'm, I'm putting myself out there. <laughs> <laughs> Since I've talked to so many people with a vision path, but no, that's that's uh, that's good to know that that you're really working within that organization to to champion diversity, not just within the member ranks, but also within the overall design community. Because like you said, it's a very, very important thing. You know, designers are problem solvers. And Mm -hmm. if this is a problem that we can't solve, then what hope is there, you know? Exactly. Antoinette Carroll, thanks again so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. This has been a really good conversation. And I hope that a lot of people will get involved with AIGA or at least get involved in the work that that you're doing so we can help out the design community as a whole. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Antoinette Carroll and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to thank our sponsor as well, MailChimp. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. Join them today at MailChimp.com and tell them Revision Path sent you. Speaking of Revision Path, make sure you check out our Teespring campaigns and purchase a shirt. Uh, go to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Revision Path. If we do well on these campaigns, we'll do more merchandise in the future. Uh, you can help support us by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio as part of our 50th interview contest also. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're on the lookout for guest bloggers and interns. Details about both of those are on our website. We'd really love to hear from you. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the podcast and what we're doing here, we could really use your support. Go to revisionpath.com forward slash donate, and you can drop a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.